So I've been following Jesus for about a year now, and I still don't, I don't, I still don't get him. I remember uh, when he walked by where I was fishing, and he told me and a few buddies of mine to follow him, and no one was more surprised than me when we all just got up, <clears throat> left everything behind, and followed him. And I can look back now and totally see that that was the very best possible decision that I've ever made in my life. Every day is something new. We walk into towns and immediately crowds develop and and Jesus starts loving on folks and he's talking and it leads to miracles and healings. And before you know it, people are dancing all up in the streets. Like there was this one time that Jesus was had been preaching for a long time and a couple of us told him that these folks are hungry and they got a long way to walk back to their villages. And, and Jesus just turned around to us and said, well, then go give them something to eat. Long story short, we bring this kid up to Jesus whose mom had packed him a lunch in a basket. And, and Jesus took that lunch and he fed like thousands of people. And you should have seen the place. People were flipping out. And, and, <clears throat> and at that point, Jesus had them eaten out of his hands, they, they would have done anything that he had said. And then as we got on the move again, we had a, a bunch of people approach Jesus saying that they wanted to join us, and that's awesome, right? Not so quick, because instead Jesus comes back at them with like some pretty hardcore responses. He tells this one guy that if he comes, he better be ready to be homeless, and he tells another dude that, that, that if he follows him, but he wants to go back and tell his family where he's going to not even bother. You talk about strict. So what I'm telling you is the mission that we're on is not for the faint of heart. You know, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffinhagen. I'm one of the pastors here at my church, and we are on beginning week two of a Made for Mission series. We started two weeks ago. Um, and then we had Father's Day last week, and, and this week we are in week two of this, this six-week series. We said two weeks ago that every person has been called by God on a mission. You are not an accident. That's a lie from Satan. You are not a fluke. That's a lie from Satan. You are God's masterpiece, uniquely and beautifully and wonderfully created for a purpose. And with this mission, we've all got options. Some people ignore the mission. Some people kick the can down the road. Maybe they jump in here and there. Maybe they do a little bit of, of, of stuff for Jesus and then life gets in the way, they say, and they stop. They're in and they're out. But then some people, some people actively pursue the mission that God has made them for. They find that mission because God doesn't hide that mission from us. And in fact, He's really more excited than we are when we use our gifts and our skills and our talents and our abilities and our resources for His mission. And so that's the goal of this series is that we would all literally live out our lives on the mission that God has wired us up for. Our big point a couple of weeks ago was that we're called. And by we are called, we are all called. We are all called uh, on this mission because ministry is not for the, a select few people. It's not for the pastors or for the leaders or for the worship pastor or for the small group leaders. We are all, if you are a believer, you are called 
on a mission. And so if that's true, then you got to be asking yourself, what am I called to do? Um, what What is my mission? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be in, <clears throat> in Luke chapter 9. And I want to look at verse 51 first. Verse 51 of chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, the day was coming when he was going to be with the Father. So when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is a major turning point in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus was a man on a mission. And he's beginning to wind down his earthly ministry. He was a man on a mission. And the text says that he set his face towards Jerusalem. He turned, he turned towards Jerusalem. And that phrase means he resolved firmly or he decided definitely to turn towards the cross. Everything led up to this point in the gospel. Everything, all of Jesus' life led up to this point and it all changes and he turns towards the cross. That word means to, to be resolute and be, to, be, to be determined to do something. He purposefully set out to lay down his life for the sake of our eternity. Martin Luther many years ago, unbelievable church father, many years ago, Martin Luther said this. And the words, we don't talk like this anymore. He said, by a wonderful exchange, our sins are no longer ours but Christ. He calls what happened on the cross an exchange. We, we, we got the better end of the deal. We got to exchange our sins for His righteousness. So by a wonderful exchange, our sins are no longer ours but Christ. And in return, we get to be wrapped up in His robe of righteousness. That is His mission. With great intentionality, with, <clears throat> with great courage, He knew where He was going and that His life was bigger than Himself. And it's interesting, earlier in chapter, uh, in chapter 9, He shares point blank with us what it would mean for someone to follow Him. In verse 23, in Luke 9, the text says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus made it clear that the mission of those who would follow him, the mission of those who would say yes to that call, was very similar to his mission. Followers lay down their lives on a daily basis for the sake of others to be saved. It's just like we say this all the time here. You've got to leverage your story for somebody else's forever. There's nothing greater in life to do than that. You share your story. You leverage your story for somebody else's forever. And it's not a one-time event. It's the mission of our lives on a daily basis until Jesus comes back. Our mission is bigger than ourselves and it's bigger than the people that we serve and it's just part, it's part an integral part of, of a revolution that Christ started 2,000 years ago. And I know there's plenty of different kind of folks in the room as we sit here today. For those of you that are brand new to this, the whole God, Jesus, church sort of thing, 
you're sitting there and you may be just checking it out and thinking about this and you're saying that may be your mission, but that ain't my mission. And I want to say to you, that is cool. But you got to know today is still huge for you because you got to know that that is still a major part of the deal. God is not just inviting you to come to church every Sunday and to give part of your hard-earned paycheck to Him. He is inviting me and you to join Him on a global mission that began on that cross 2,000 years ago. And then there's you, those of you that are here that, that are Christ followers, that have been following Him for a while, and you're a, you are a believer, and you may be sitting there and you're nodding your head thinking, God's mission is my mission. I got that. Well, what's next? And if you're anything like, like me, it's much easier to nod along with that a little bit but it's a lot harder to live that out. You may intellectually believe that your primary mission is to join God in what He is up to, but practically your life may say something a little different. Here's the deal. I believe that, that one of Satan's most, very most powerful tools to get Jesus' followers off mission is distraction. It is he's not necessarily coming at you with a pitchfork and a cape. He's coming at you with a squirrel that just ran by. He's coming, he's distracting us from the mission. The ship is headed straight like this. And if he can just get us off a hair, just just a hair. If he gets us off just a hair, he's good because if he gets us off just a hair at point A, we're going to be off a mile down here at point Z. It's like building a house. If, if, I, if, if I jack up the foundation of a house at the front right corner a quarter of an inch, when I get back to the back right corner, I'm going to be off a foot at a square. That's what he tries to do. Little distractions along the way. Y'all pull your cell phones out. I was going to say, do, do y'all have cell phones? That's a stupid thing to say. I'm, I'm not kidding. Pull your cell phones out. I want to give you some information about cell phones. So pull them out. The average American checks their cell phone uh, every 12 minutes. That's 80 times a day. The average millennial checks their cell phone 150 times a day. 150 times a day. 74% of cell phone users that text say they text while they're driving. That's six or seven times more dangerous than driving drunk. 84% of worldwide cell phone users say that 84% say they couldn't go a single day without their phone. 65% of teens admit being addicted to their cell phone. Now here's the ultimate test to see if your cell phone may be a problem that you may be addicted to it. Did you check it when I just asked you to pull it out and you missed part of the message? Be honest. Be honest. At a minimum, can't we all agree that we live in a distracted culture. We live in a distracted world. If Satan can't make you act like an idiot, he's going to make you busy. Because if he can get you off track, off the mission that you were made for, he gets another notch in his little devil belt. If he can just scooch it to the side a little bit. Lifeway did a survey. I want to say it was two years ago. And in this survey, they said 
80% of believers, that's a big number, 80% of believers, this number should be 100% when I tell you what it is, but 80% of believers said that they believe that they have a personal responsibility to share Christ. I'm not sure why it's not 100%. But 80% said they, have a, they admit to having a personal responsibility to share Christ, but 61% of them said that they hadn't done it in the last six months. That means only 39% of them did. Did you see how I can do that math so quick in my head? 39% said they did, but 61% said they had not in the last six months. So the majority of us, we know what the mission is. We know how important the mission is, but somehow it doesn't impact the way we live. It doesn't make a difference. And that's what I want to talk about today. Primarily, we're going to be in, in Luke nine fifty-seven through 62. And in these verses, Luke introduces us to three people who say they want to follow Jesus. And then he identifies and he calls out three distraction missions that are going to sidetrack us, they're going to, they're going to divert us, they're going to pull us away from the mission that he's wired us up to. And the first is in Luke 57, 9, 57 and 58. And it's the distraction mission of comfort. The mission of, of comfort. Starting in verse 57, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so this man walks up to Jesus, says, I want to follow you. And Jesus simply says to him, I don't have a home of my own. And he's telling this guy, you may need to know that this mission that you're saying you want to go on may very well make you homeless. And, and the text doesn't tell us how the man responds, but it is highly inferred and implied that that was a showstopper for that man. He's totally into uh, following Jesus as long as it didn't take him out of his comfort zone. The only problem is Jesus doesn't just pull his followers out of their comfort zone. Sometimes he wrecks and destroys the comfort zone. You think about all of the things that Jesus had his disciples do. He sent them out for weeks at a time. He sent them out for weeks at a time with no money, with no <clears throat> extra clothes, with no plan B. If failure is not an option, you're probably not going to fail. And if, if there is no plan B, then plan A is probably going to succeed. And at the end of the day, Jesus would model this comfort zoneless, if that's a word, this comfort zoneless life by dying the most horrific death imaginable on a cross. Before we go out in the streets to minister on in, in downtown in Columbus on Monday nights and Tuesday nights, um, we always bathe that outreach in prayer, like really bathe that outreach in prayer. And, and most of the time, that prayer, at least a major component of it, is, Lord, keep us safe. Keep us safe in the streets tonight. Keep the folks that are living in the streets safe tonight. Uh, keep us safe as we go out and we do your work. You ever done that before? You're traveling somewhere. Lord, keep us safe on the way. And I think that's a good prayer. But what if, what if Jesus is more about making us dangerous followers of him and less about keeping us safe all the time. I can tell you this, my wife and I, and I can definitely speak for myself, I think I can speak for, for her on this, 
we started going out in the streets two and a half, two, about two and a half years ago. I know for me, I think I can speak for her, that we have not grown spiritually more in that two and a half years. We grew more than the 15 years prior to that. Part of that is being outside of just being comfortable. You know, being in the streets, it's not the safest place in the world. It's definitely not the most comfortable place in the world. Haven't you found in your own life that the times that you grew the most were the times that you were maybe a little uncomfortable and you really, like, really, really had to lean in and trust Jesus? Our world is so obsessed with comfort. It's just stupid. Look, check out. I got three things I want to show you that I found that are just exist to make us more comfortable. This, look, look at this first one is an alarm clock. Do you really need an alarm clock that when you hit the snooze button, the alarm clock makes a cup of coffee? Don't, do you, is that something that we need? I'm going to say we don't. Some of you may say we do. I'm saying that we don't. The second thing is this. This is a, uh, an LED attachment for your faucet. Do you need visually to be able to tell if the water is hot or cold by it's blue, if it's cold and it's red, if it's hot? Is that something that we need? I don't think we do. The last one is, is the most unbelievable to me. This is called an Illumabowl. This is only for men. At night, when it's dark, and you got to get up and go to the little Johnny, do you, you got to keep your aim right, and so I guess you need an Illumabowl. Here, the point is this, though. Go to Target tomorrow, go to Walmart tomorrow, go wherever you want to go tomorrow, and look at what they've got, that the, the items that just exist to just to make you more comfortable. Just to make your life more comfortable. But what happens when the distraction mission of comfort runs head on into the mission of Jesus? What happens then? What happens when comfort becomes a bigger deal in your life than following Christ? He's going to wreck it. That's it's, it's what He does. We, we, we learn here in this passage that Jesus tells us it would be much better for me and you to count the cost before we say yes. Count the cost. My own life. The cost. And I, I can't tell you because I didn't know what I didn't know. So I can't tell you honestly if I counted the cost. It just happened. I read the Bible cover to cover. I believed every word of it. God saved me, pulled me right out of the pit of hell. That's my testimony in three seconds. The cost, though, was a relationship with my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, two sets of aunts and uncles, and all my cousins. But you know what? I'd do it a thousand times over in a second. Because if I've got to choose between Christ and family, I'm choosing Christ. We have to, but we have to, Jesus says here, you would be better off if you counted the cost. And so, mission number one is that distraction mission of comfort. And mission, and distraction mission number two is the, the distraction mission of commitments. In verses 59 and 60, we meet the second person that says they want to follow Jesus. Starting in verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's 
tough. I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough passage. With this guy, Jesus initiates the conversation. He says to this man, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, I will, let me go, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says back to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go proclaim the kingdom of God. That seems like a pretty harsh response to this guy. And when I first read this, I had in my mind that, that this dude's dad had just died and he had to go get to the funeral. But in that culture, if this guy's dad had just died, he would have been fully engulfed in all of the, the Jewish burial rituals and the Jewish burial, the ceremonial things for a week. He would have been engulfed in that. And so it's way more likely that this man's father was getting ready to die. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he was on his deathbed. Maybe he was a week from dying, a month from dying. The text doesn't tell us, but, <clears throat> but it is more likely that he is preparing to die. And, and this guy says, give me some time. I'm going to follow you, but just give, give me a minute and let me go deal with this. I'm going to follow you, but just give me some time. Maybe the man was also waiting to, to get his father's inheritance. So give me just a little time. I give me some money and then I'll follow you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. And that implies that the spiritually dead can bury the physically dead. Don't you picture a dad laying on his deathbed and Jesus tells this son to leave him alone and follow me. Who would say that? But the deal is Jesus is making a specific point. He is clearly conveying that there's an urgency to his mission that he's called us to. It's not something we pick up when we find some breathing room in our schedule. It's not, okay, Jesus, I'll see if I can squeeze you in at 3 o'clock on Tuesday. That ain't how it is. It is priority number one. And Jesus' point, the whole point of this, this, this interlude with this guy is that proclaiming the kingdom of God is so important that it waits for nothing. It waits for nothing. There's two words that this man jacks up in this, these two verses. And he says them out of order and they make all the difference in the world. And these, these words are Lord, at the beginning he says, Lord, first let me. And there's nothing wrong with this man wanting to cut, take care of his father. The problem is he made it a priority over taking care and following Jesus. He said, Lord, first let me instead of first Lord. First Lord is what we need to say. Whatever it is that you're calling me to do, Jesus, I will do that first. That gets in the front of the line. That gets to cut in the front of the line. And it ain't just for the sake of being obedient to the word, although that's a pretty good reason to do stuff. It's not all about that. It is, it is also because it's a blessing for us. Matthew in chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew, the longest block of instruction from Christ in the Bible is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And right in the middle of that, he says, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the stuff that you're stressing about, I got. All of it. I will give, seek first his kingdom, I'll give you peace. Seek first his kingdom, I'll give you joy, I'll give you contentment. I give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. So I'm asking y'all, are the things that you have told Jesus, yeah, but first. I'll serve, 
in the my kids area. But first, let me get through this busy season. I'll serve in the my tots area, but first let me get through this busy season. I'll give, but first let me get the raise that they promised me at work so that I can afford to give. I'll share my faith, but first let me get a little bit more comfortable. I'll spend time reading my Bible, but first, Lord, let me hit the snooze button and get me a cup of coffee that my clock makes for me. And look, many of the commitments that we have, they may be really good and they may be really honorable, but Jesus tells us that His mission cuts in front of all of that. So the second, the second distraction mission is this mission of commitment. And the third one is the distraction mission of competition. Of competition. Verse 61 and 2. Still another said, another guy, this is contestant number three. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts, on a, uh, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So as Jesus continues to walk, another man comes along, I'm in, Lord, but first I've got to go say goodbye to my family. Jesus turns and looks at him and says, nobody who puts a hand on the plow and looks backwards is fit for service in the kingdom. You think Jesus wants us looking behind us at the past? No. You think Satan wants you looking behind at your past? He does. Jesus wants us to press ahead and to look forward. That is what that, what that passage, what that, that verse, verse 62, means. So, once again, it seems and sounds like a pretty harsh response from Jesus. I can't imagine, personally, dropping everything in my world to go on a mission trip with a man I just met and, and, and him telling me and not letting me not letting the people in my family know that I went. It would be irresponsible. And Jesus tells this guy, no phone calls, no text messages, no selfies of us leaving on the little church bus and heading out on, a, on no, no putting that picture on Instagram, no Facebook post, no, no nothing. He tells him nothing. Don't look back, look ahead. And you notice once again that this man also has those two words messed up. He says, Lord, but first. And there's nothing wrong with telling your family where you're going, but you notice the way that the words are in this sentence. He's kind of giving Jesus a command. He's saying, Jesus, let me do this or I won't follow you. You ever, you ever looked at God like he's a genie in the bottle? Like, like I'll, I'll do this, but you need to do something for me first. That is what this man says. He's making a deal with Jesus and he places a condition on his willingness to follow him. Jesus' followers can't have divided interest. Like the farmer who is plowing and turns around and looks back. And in the text, as you read your Bible, this passage and any other, any other passage, conjunctions, y'all remember conjunction, junction, that was a squirrel. Hey, that was a squirrel that just went by. Conjunctions, dis, they create disruption in the text. They create change in a text. The word but completely impacts whatever is behind it. Whatever was just said before. I'll tell you, I'm 52. 
I tell my kids this, I'm 52, but I can still take you out. I'm, I'm 52, but I'm still faster than both of y'all. I'm sorry, but. I love you, but. I, I'm all in, but. I will follow you, but. And we've got to see, we've got to see our mission that God has called us to as a reward and not a regret. He wants us to move forward. He does not want us to, to move backwards. He doesn't want us to look back. He wants us moving forward in confidence and in joy and in contentment. And Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, that funny? In Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians 3, 13 and 14, here's what Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet, this is Paul talking now, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. He's taught, I, I don't consider myself a totally mature Christian. Think about that. This is Paul writing that. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Forgetting what's back there and straining for what is ahead of me, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There are lots of, there's lots of stuff, there's lots of things that are competing with God's mission in our lives. Making money, appearing successful to the world, having everything you want, staying healthy, having your kids turn out, quote, perfectly. And maybe these things are fine in and of themselves, but do they ever compete with God's mission? Do they ever compete with with our intentional walk with God. What is it that is competing with that? Y'all watch this video. It's a three-minute video. I got a got a big butt. It's gigantic, if I'm gonna be blunt about it. And you know what? The funny thing is, I got several big butts. And, and, and before you before you discard me or, or wince at the disgusting notion of that, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that possibly you have at least one big butt as well. Yeah, you like that? Hurts a little, huh? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something, okay? Everybody we know has a big butt. And more often than not, it's the thing that actually gets in the way of us living a consistent life for Jesus. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to expound a little bit, okay? See if you can recognize some of these butts. But I have to work more. But my favorite TV show is on. But my kids have practice. But I gotta tweet something. But it's such a beautiful day. But I'm just not in the mood. But I deserve a break today. You see, everything kind of interferes with my life of, of just living an authentic life for God, okay? And more often than not, it always has something to do with some sort of butt, okay? Even the littlest of butt can distract me. It really can. The littlest of butt can make me think, well, ah, I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to think about it today. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Whatever God asks me to do, I seem to have a butt for it and get away, okay? And the most horrendously big butt of all time is the butt that gets in the way of me just hanging out with God and reading His Word. It's true. Think about it. All the times you're about to open that, and all of a sudden a big giant butt gets in the way. A butt much like one of these. But I got a farm bill, but I'm tired, but the game's over, but I read last Tuesday, but I gotta check Facebook, but I don't like Leviticus, but it's too hot in here, but I, I just don't like books, but I don't understand it, but it's boring. But what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Those are some ugly butts, people. Let's just call them what they are, ugly. Ugly butts. 
okay? And there's a lot more to them, sad but true. Here's a list, although not exhaustive, of some of the most popular butts known to mankind. But I don't have enough money yet. But others will think that I'm a nerd if I carry the Bible. But they won't like me if I talk about Jesus. But I don't know if God will do what I ask. But I just can't get motivated. But I'm afraid. But I don't have all the answers. But the small group is the same night as Monday Night Football. But can I just let my life speak for itself? But I'm not happy. That's not my gift. But that's the pastor's job. But I don't know how to pray. But I can't believe that. But I don't know where to start. But everybody else is having fun. Butts abound, friend. But, 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 but. Here a but, there a but. Everywhere a but, but. Okay? And, and, and the most overused but of all time, but I just don't have enough time. Really? Oh, come on. We have a lot of buts. God has given us a real simple word. Okay? If we learn it and we share it and we teach it and we live by it, then see, God gets glorified, people benefit, and then we get blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's the why behind the but. Okay? And ultimately, that's the whole point I'm trying to make here, my fellow butt lovers, is if your butt is bigger than your why, then your butt's too big. Okay, it's time to, metaphorically speaking, snap into a Slim Jim. Okay, let's slap on some spiritual shape-ups and hit the road a little bit so we can just manage the butts a little bit. That's all we're trying to do. That's what we're talking about. Let's minimize the excuses. Let's shrink the butts. Shrink the butts. Say it with me. Shrink the butts. That's what we need to do. And you and I can do that together. We can conquer this. You and I can do it if we start today, okay? I know we can. Let's just do it. No ifs, ands, or... Yeah. I think you get it. So, two weeks ago, we learned that if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are called by Him. You are called to a life on mission. Just like Jesus resolutely turned towards Jerusalem, He turned His face towards Jerusalem, and He knew what was coming. The cross didn't sneak up on Jesus. Richard, as, as he was talking about communion a little while ago, he used the word willingly. We, we use that word flippantly sometimes, that, that Jesus willingly went to the cross. Well, you know what? He, he willing, he, it didn't sneak up on him. The night before, he knew, you think he knew what was fixing to happen the next day? Take it to the bank, he knew what was fixing to happen the next day. Think about it. He sweated blood in the garden that night. He says to the Father, now, this is my words. He says to the Father, dude, if there's another way, can we figure out another way to do this? Because he knew how bad physically it was going to be. So he willingly did that. That is so humongous that he willingly did that. We, in that same vein, have got to intentionally and resolutely follow him in his mission Above everything else, it cuts in the front of the line. And Jesus is not about creating fans. He does not need any more fans. He's about creating disciples. He is about creating fully committed followers of Him. He needs no more fans. And simply saying that you're going to follow Him is, is really not enough. He looks for humility in us. Will I lay down my own comforts, my, my other commitments, my, the things that are competing for our time? All of y'all know there's stuff competing for our time every day. Will I lay some of that down? Will I lay down some of my treasure, some of my talents to doggedly follow Him? Will I lay down some of these distractions and some of the butts? Will I lay those down? And so we, we're going to close today by simply giving you a little bit of silence 
to, to, to ask this question. God, do I have any distractions in my life that I need to die to? And if you do, I want to encourage you to take that blank piece of paper that Richard was talking about that's in your worship guide, and, and I want you to write the distraction down. I want you to write the butt down. Are there any comforts that you somehow have made more important than Christ is? Are there, are there any competing missions in front of you? Any distractions that have jumped in front of Christ? Write them down. Are there any other commitments that, and the, it may not be bad. I'm not, every commitment is not bad. I, I'm not a fool. So, some commitments are good, but Jesus comes first. So are there any commitments that you have that you may have said, but first, before you can fully follow Christ's call on your life? If that's the case, I want you to write those. No joke, there's a pen in the seat back in front of you. Write those down, fold them up, and sometime before we're done, you can do it right now if you want, or you can do it when, the, when our worship team plays, their la- or, or plays the last song. We're going to nail them to that cross. And we're going to nail them to that cross because Jesus is in the burden-taking business. Y'all get that? A couple weeks ago, we talked about being yoked to Him. We yoke ourselves to Him so that we, we can't take a step. He can take a step for us. And so I want you to cast those burdens, the distractions, the butts. I almost said I want you to pin your butt to the cross. I didn't say that, though. I didn't. I want you to take those distractions, those butts, those everything that gets in front of following the Lord and cast them on Him because He can take care of those. And, and here's what I know. Your butt today, you may be sitting here today and, here, and, and this is the butt in your life. It may be I've really been thinking about this whole Jesus is the Savior thing. I picked up a Bible and I read it and I'm trying to decide if I believe it or not. But I got to get good enough before I can believe it. But I got to get rid of this or that before I can make that kind of commitment. Um, But I got to get perfect before I can say yes to the Lord. That thinking is straight out of the pit of hell. I'm telling you, please, please, please don't buy into that. Don't forget, Jesus came not to heal the well. He didn't come to take care of the sinless. He didn't come to take care of the perfect people. He didn't. He came to save the sick. He came to save the broken and jacked up people like me and you. He came to redeem sinners like me and you. If He'd only come for the perfect people, heaven would be empty. Do y'all get that? He came to, to that exchange that Martin Luther talked about. That was a purchase. He, that's what redeem means. He, the world had you and He bought you back from the world. There is no love. It is unimaginable that kind of love. And that the price of that purchase back was the death on that cross. Painful, excruciating death on that cross that, that purchased us back. And so, He loves you. But He doesn't need any more fans. He wants to take your brokenness and make you whole again, and He can do that. And all you have to do is say okay. And I can't say uh, okay for you. You've got to say okay for you. And it's just two things. 
Number one, you got to say, Lord, I'm so tired of looking backwards. I'm so tired of plowing and looking behind me. I'm so tired of looking at my past, all the junk that I did in my past. And Paul says, strain ahead. And I do have some junk in my past, but you know what? All you got to do is say, I repent of that. I repent. And what does the word repent mean? To turn. I need to turn away from that. And I'm committing to turn away from that. And number two, Lord, that I believe that that wonderful exchange on that cross was for me. That wonderful exchange on that cross that, that I gave you my sins and you gave me your righteousness. That's all you got to do today as we sit here. And so if you decided today that that exchange was for you, um, I want you to say this, this prayer with me this morning. I want you all to close your eyes, bow your heads. And, and I want you to say this, this prayer with me. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Lord, I'm willing to, to turn from my sin this morning. Lord, I, I, I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. Lord, I, I, want, I want you, I want to follow you today. I want to make you the leader and the forgiver of my life today. And from this moment on, I want to follow you. In Christ's name, amen. And so, again, like we do every week, if if... You said that today. If that happened today, I want you to take that connection card on the seat back in front of you. Write your name down that that happened to you today. Not so we can accost you. So that we can walk alongside of you. So that we can pray with you. So that we can pray for you and lift you up. Because that walk may not be the easiest thing in the world. I'm not going to stand up here and lie. There's a cost. And we want to bear that burden with you. And then number two, if you'd said that today, then the, the, the next, biblically, the next step is baptism. We call that God plunge here. There's one July 15th. The next big God plunge is July 15th. However, when you walked in this morning, you saw that pool out there more than likely. And I want to, so I want to tell you just a, we have, we have a, a young soldier in our church who called me last week and he said, I want to get rebaptized. And I said, what does that mean, rebaptized? And he said, he said, I was baptized when I was eight. And I said, well, were you a believer when you were eight? And he said, no, I don't think so. I was a believer a few weeks ago. I asked Christ into my heart, sitting in one of these chairs out here. And he said, I want to be, I want to, uh, take the God plunge. And I said, the next one is July 15th. And he said, I'm PCS and away from Fort Benning. And I want to get baptized. And I said, well, you know what? We're fixing to get wet next weekend. And so when we're done today, I want you all all to come out there and celebrate with Ty the baptism. Now, I want you to also understand there's nothing salvific about those waters. It's just water. We didn't fly the water in from the Jordan River. You know, we didn't go get the water from some special holy truck. What it what. It's an obedience thing. It's a command thing. It's a sacrament as communion is. But the, the wonderful exchange that happened to that young soldier sitting in one of those chairs, good gosh, what could be better? I mean, what could be better than somebody going from lost to found? And that's why we, that's why we do a baptism. That's why we take the God plunge is to tell the world that that exchange 
happened to that young man. It is awesome. So y'all join us out there as soon as we're done. I want to call Richard up. Um, thank y'all for being here this morning. Yeah, man.